Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey there, Get to Vet, Trevor Maxwell here with you on a lovely morning before the storm. And with me as always is my partner in podcasting, Mike Riggs. Good to be here today. Yep. And uh, I'm excited to have our guest today because when Mike and I decided to start this podcast, he was one of the people that I had reached out to uh, for some advice on on how to do it. And I think he gave me one of the best pieces of advice uh, when we were talking. He said, you know what, don't wait for it to be perfect. Just go out there and do it and it'll get better as time goes along. So he runs his own podcast um, and he's also got... uh, started an organization that I'm a big fan of uh, that's centered around connecting veteran business owners. And uh, his name is Bob Louthan. And Bob, I'll let you talk a little bit about yourself. Hey, Trevor, Mike, thanks for having me on the Get to Vet podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, You know, uh, let's jump into it. You know, I don't want to talk too much about me, but you've got me on the podcast. But yeah, I just really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys today. Yep. And uh, so... Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, great to have you today. So uh, one of the first things I wanted to talk about, too, because I love promoting things that other people are doing. You have your own podcast um, in the spotlight. Is that That's right. Yeah, we call it the Veteran Crowd Spotlight. Uh, we've, uh, we, we're, we're publishing weekly now, uh, but I've done about uh, 140 episodes now. I can't believe we've done that many, but uh, been doing it for almost two years. And, and uh, it's a great way to meet people, create content, and build relationships. Yeah, it's the same for me. You know, it's one of the things that I always like is when somebody shoots me a message on LinkedIn and they're like, Hey, you know what? I, I got some good stuff out of the, the podcast, you know, whereas we're focused more on the, the actual transition piece um, and, and letting people know about some of the stuff that's out there outside of the traditional transition courses. So, and you've had some, you've actually had a, some of the same guests that we've had on there. I think uh, you've had John McCaskill, yep. right? Awesome yep. dude. Uh, I really like listening to him. Um, and, and I know we know a lot of the same people because you're actually not too far away from us. That's right. That's right. We're, we're running in the same circles, but I'm, I'm pleased to be in your universe. Believe me, I'm uh, particularly you younger veterans, uh, guys, old guys like me, man. I, you know, I'm, I'm just in awe of what's happened since 9-11. So uh, I, I feel honored to be around folks that you know, have served like you guys have. So I really appreciate it. Well, the feeling is mutual. And um, that was something I wanted to talk to you about with your podcast, because I think you're kind of highlighting something, uh, a trend. You know, one of the big things uh, that everybody talks about after World War II was there were a lot of vets that came back and started getting into entrepreneurial roles, right? And that's, that's really kind of what your podcast highlights. Absolutely. You know, after World War II, uh, you know, probably 12 million people came home, right. Uh, You know, that had served in World War II in, in the United States and, and uh, they came home and they kind of went back to work very quietly. And, and uh, you know, we called them the greatest generation, but one of the things that I think they were 
instrumental in doing was creating a period of prosperity in the United States that was, you know, unparalleled, right? Um, and and really sort of set this country on a trajectory that uh, we had never seen before. A lot of entrepreneurial activity, a lot of them owned businesses, um, you know, stepped into leadership roles. And, and if you look at the track record of veterans and the statistics, it's all there. You know, you're, you're much more likely to be a business owner. You're much more likely to be the leader of a company. You're much more likely to, to do a lot of things because that military experience translates into uh, or, or developed in you the habits and disciplines that, that make you successful in the private sector. So, um, and you know what, Trevor, we're seeing kind of a, uh, the similar wave now, it's absolutely recognizable that, you know, all these post 9-11 veterans are getting into entrepreneurship and they're doing exactly what their fathers and grandfathers did when they came home from World War II. And my grandfather was one of those, he, he got out of the Navy in the uh, mid forties. And that's what he did. He, he lied to get in, uh, lied about his age. Like a lot of people did and served in the Navy. And then when he got out, that was his thing. And he did very well on trucking and upholstery and ran a bunch of rental properties. And I mean, he, that's, that's what he did. He was a hardworking entrepreneur. And I remember, you know, by the time I could recall, you know, from, you know, as you're a kid, you know, you, you can only remember back so far, but I can remember him and his entrepreneurial spirit. And that's just, he was semi-retired, I think, by the time he was in his mid-50s to 60s, just from what he had set up from, you know, his post-war time. But you can, he was even an entrepreneur when he was in the Navy. He was always that guy that would take people's watches and, you know, I'll take that for a dollar. Back then was probably, you know, it was a lot of money. You know, if guys want to go out partying and doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he was that guy that was just building his his nest egg because he knew when he got out, that's what he was going to do. And, and he, he went after it. You know, another thing I'd like to bring up, too, when you bring up the, the point of 12 million service members, that, that's a big number. But it even to put it in context, that's almost like one tenth or one one fifteenth of the population of the United States at that given time. That's a huge amount of people coming back and just going going back and getting after it. I mean, I don't think people understand, you know, when they look back at the population of the United States in the 40s how big that number really is and how much that came back, you know, people that came back and from the war and got out at that time and just came back and really got after it. And there was probably very few people in the United States that didn't have a relative, uh, you know, engaged in the effort in some fashion. And even the ones that didn't have uh, military service members in their family were engaged, you know, in industry or something else that was all part of the war effort because the entire economy candidly was in a life or death struggle and, and, and all pointed towards, you know, one singular goal, which was winning a conflict in two, two theaters in the world, you know, uh, it, it, it just, you know, and, and unfortunately, Mike, we don't learn much from history and we're looking at what's going on in the Ukraine right now. And our, our, uh, our Russians friends, whatever you want to call them, they used to be Soviets, but you know, they're still got a lot of the same geopolitical and strategic objectives. Uh, 
And uh, I hope we're not seeing some of the foreshadowing of further conflict in Europe like like we've seen before. Yeah, it was really interesting because I, you know, my time when I was in, I got to go through a lot of the old Soviet era countries, you know, like Azerbaijan and some of those areas. And, and you can see where like the Soviet Union after it collapsed, it just they left you know, fledgling democracies and, you know, and infant democracies struggle very, it's a, it's a very, it's a tough struggle for, you know, those, those democracies that are just beginning. And I think they've got their feet under them now. And, and just to see this start to come back, you know, within a matter of what, you know, we're looking at now, 20, 30 30 years now, and and it's now going to start going back the other way after they're really starting to prosper. It's just kind of sad to see. I have uh, not traveled to as many former Soviet bloc countries as you have been to Czechoslovakia and Hungary. And, and, you know, you travel through sections of those countries and I, I call it the tombstones of communism. You sort of see those those ugly buildings and, and, you know, the just, it, you know, they're still struggling to kind of overcome uh, some of that stuff. But one of my favorite cities in all of the world is Prague in, uh, you know, in the Czech Republic. What a, what a beautiful place. But to think that those people lived under the, you know, the domination of the Soviet Union for all that time. And, and, you know, clearly what Putin wants to do <laughs> is kind of, you know, have that buffer zone and, and dominate Eastern Europe again. So, um, you know, it's time to stand up and be tough. I, I wonder what your grandfather and my father would say, if my father was still alive, what he would say today, looking at what he's seeing, you know, this sure looks familiar probably, mm-hmm. you know, it's bound to repeat itself is what he's going to say. Here we go again. Yep. The, uh, what, it, I mean, you know, there's that correlation there between not paying attention to history and history repeating itself. So hey, look, maybe we'll create a, an entirely new wave of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm look, I absolutely, I see it every day. So, um, you know, uh, you know, we, we can talk about bunker labs. We can talk about Patriot bootcamp. We can talk about, uh, you know, a lot of the capital now that's being directed towards uh, veterans, you know, veteran owned businesses, uh, you know, there's just there, there seems to be uh, an emphasis on that, a recognition that these people are special. But to your point, Mike, you know, it's a much smaller percentage of the population now, right? Uh, you know, 1% serving versus, you know, one in 10, right? One in 100. So, uh, you know, these people are still making an enormous impact. And, and let's talk politics a little bit, too. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of post 9-11 veterans stepping up now and running for political office as well. Uh, I'd love to talk about veterans for political innovation when we get a chance this morning uh, as an example. So where do we go? Where are we going? Trevor. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was going to to talk about that a little bit because I'm, you know, myself, I've kind of gone that that route too. Like that was, I think, how you and I really connected in the first place. Um, but, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about that. Like, what, what do you think it is that drives somebody to go that entrepreneurial route? Because like, you know, I tell people all the time, hey, you know what? I know what it was for me. I, I said, hey, I don't want to go do one of these jobs, like a lot of the work, there's tons of six figure contracting jobs out there available for me, but they all come with security clearances. And I was like, that's, you know, I had the, the, 
you know, security clearance. And I was like, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to be subject to that anymore. And a lot of people have even said that to me. They're like, I don't know how the hell you did 20 years in the military with, and <laughs> you know, just being that added type of person is like, ah, oh, I hate when people tell me what to do. Um, so for me, that, that was my thing, you know, and I passed up a bunch of those six figure contracting jobs to go out and work for myself and, and try to keep that, you know, I think the big drive was like, Hey, I need to do something where I stay hungry and, and stay challenged. Uh, because I was worried about becoming just that complacent, uh, veteran that, you know, we all see, you know, there, there's probably one working in your building if you're active duty. Right. And, and I was like, all right, I, I can't, I don't want to be that guy. How do I, how do I keep from becoming that guy? How do I stay challenged? And, you know, I, I think that was really important for my mental health, but, you know, I don't know, there, there's a lot of different factors that drive somebody to pursue that. Uh, I, I'm curious to hear your perspective on it. Uh, okay. Well, you, you, you've opened up Pandora's box here. So the, you know, the, the first thing I'll, I want to comment on that you said was, you know, had, had you spent 20 years in the military, you know, and having people tell you what to do. But I, I think that, that uh, I have two takeaways from that. One is, um, you know, people on the outside of the military, there's not somebody lording over you all the time telling you what to do. They've, they've actually trained you and then given you the flexibility to go do your job. It's actually a more uh, uh, forgiving uh, environment, I think, than that. You know, there's not somebody there telling you. Now, uh, foreign militaries tend to fall into that trap, but I, I never think that the United States military has lost sort of its uh, entrepreneurial uh, uh, capability. I mean, you know, that, that private who comes up with a good idea, a better way of doing something is encouraged to, you know, to bring that up, right? So um, I, I think that's baked into our DNA. The second thing is, is that when you're in the military, I mean, the first thing you got to learn how to do is how to follow, right? But in, over the course of time, after you've learned how to follow, then you can learn how to lead, right? And so I think that that bakes into the veteran a lot of understanding and empathy and and professional development. So, so then you come out of the military, whether you spent three years or 20 uh, in there, I think with some things hardwired into your DNA that make you successful and, and set you up well for life. Most of them are disciplines, right? But, uh, you know, it's, it's hard work, it's focus, the ability to plan, uh, but, there's team building. I mean, you wouldn't have been successful in the military if you were not a team player. You know, that, that guy that is that just can't do his job or can't be a team player fails in the military. So team player, communicating, right? Being able to effectively communicate, organize teams of people, get them all focused on one objective. And, uh, and then the two things that I think are absolutely missing and paramount are a heightened sense of ethics and personal accountability. It's my job. It's my fault. The buck stops with me. The most frustrating thing about politics for me is the Teflon coating that most politicians adopt. 
if it goes well, it's my doing. And if it goes wrong, I'm going to try to pin it on somebody else. It's absolutely drives me nuts. So I think those are the core things that you got in the military that set you up well. I think Mike can lend some unique perspective to that too, because he has, he, uh, he got to see how the, how the sausage was made, so to say. Yes. I spent a, a year up on Capitol Hill working in the U S Senate as a defense fellow. And to say it was eye-opening is a complete understatement to actually see how our legislative branch works and does not work is, uh, is, it was mind boggling. And to be there when the house flipped from Republican to Democrat and, you know, Pennsylvania Avenue was just a complete turn on what was going on down. You didn't know what the hell was coming from Pennsylvania Avenue at any given day. And the Pentagon, uh, Mattis was leaving around. I think he left shortly after I got there in the, in the office that I was working in. There was a big change there. Uh, it, it was just a constant uh, I got to work on, the, of course, the defense authorization. Uh, it, that was, it was a phenomenal. I mean, just to, I mean, I thought I had, I had about 26 years, I think, in the military at that time. I'd worked in the joint arena since 1997. This is around 2018. And I thought I knew a lot about the military. And, and, and let me tell you, I didn't know anything when I got up there. And it was it was by fire hose because, you know, Columbia class submarine, F-35s, F-22s, long range artillery, hypersonic weapons and all. I'm like, uh, can we, can we <laughs> talk about counterinsurgency in Iraq and Afghanistan? They're like, oh no, that's old. You're, Man, you're that's old shit. Yeah. You're a dinosaur. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, but you know, the other thing was it, it really opened up your aperture to a lot of other programs like, you know, congressionally directed medical research programs, like meeting with folks that are like literally terminally ill with like four months left to live stage four pancreatic cancer coming up to ask you to talk to your boss about making sure that there's money that's going to be directed towards the funding of researching, you know, pancreatic cancers and other types of things. I mean, I really left there with, uh, a completely different perspective, not only on the military, but I think life in general and, and really got to interact, you know, cause you're up there as a, as a defense, you represent the Pentagon. You're, you're, you're paid by the Pentagon. You're in an office or wear a suit and tie every day, but you're also, when you meet with constituents, you're representing the Senator's office, you know? So I have to play customer service and, and do what's in the best interest of the Senator and then go and brief him if, if asked and write reports and communication. I wrote letters to the president of the United States that were signed by him. I wrote letters or I wrote articles that were published, you know, in, in like the Washington Post and, you know, those, those types of things that I'll never, ever get credit for. I mean, it was an awesome experience, but to your point, and I'm going way long winded on it, it, it is a complete shit show up there sometimes. <laughs> Well, this is a perfect segue because uh, several months ago, Todd Connor, who was the founder of Bunker Labs, had had written an op-ed piece and I'd seen it on LinkedIn and I immediately reached out to him and and, uh, it was, you know, uh, basically expressing some of this frustration, right? But from the veteran's perspective, for years I have been saying that, you know, we needed to send more veterans to Congress because... Uh, you know, right now the number is like 17%. Okay. 
Um, but you know, in, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was 70%. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not purporting to say that the vast majority of Congress needs to be veterans, but it wouldn't hurt us to have more of them. So Todd had written this, this, uh, op-ed piece, uh, and uh, it just caught my attention as an approach. And, and it's kind of the basis for an organization called Veterans for Political Innovation. And uh, the, the guy that's running, it's a guy named Eric Bronner. And, and uh, it's, it's somewhat in its infancy, but it's gaining, um, gaining traction. But uh, an interesting approach to fixing the problem by addressing really the primary system, right? Um, and, uh, and, you know, we can kind of get into the, uh, into the weeds. I don't want to go too far into it, but basically, uh, you know, in, in most congressional districts and states, they lean Republican or they lean Democrat, uh, and some, some, some districts it's a shoe in, you know, uh, whatever Democrat gets nominated is going to win that district. Right. So the important election becomes the primary, Right. And 10% of the people vote in a primary. And, and these primaries might be open, they might be closed. So if you take a 10% and it's a closed primary, so now you've got 10% of half of the population because it's a democratic primary, all right? So now you're really talking about 5% of the population in a, in a district votes in a primary, all right? Well, if you get one issue in a motivated special interest group and there's lots of money available right uh outside money so that individual who can marshal you know uh two percent of that you know to get them focused on that issue and come out to the primary can win the primary and then becomes a shoe in to get the job so that makes it very it very easy for people with money and special interest to get that seat in Congress. Cortez is a, is a good example of what you're talking about. She, she primaried out the guy who was, she ran in a democratic, completely democratic district. She, Cause I use her as an example because she's always on the news because she ran in a democratic district, completely uh, blue district. And she ran against a guy who was not necessarily holding completely to the the left party lines and she ran in and primaried him out right exactly and, and, exactly and, and, using the strategies you're talking about and and and, and look you know I, I think the parties you know it's it's more about power so what happens to uh, lisa murkowski or uh joe manchin right uh one's a republican one's a democrat right you know it, you're you are susceptible to the special interest and as soon as you uh, vote in favor of what's in the interest of Alaska or West Virginia, right? That runs contrary to the, uh, uh, you know, the strategy of the party. All of a sudden, you're pilloried. They're gonna, they're, they're, they're you know, mounting. They're, they make, they're calling you a rhino. They're, you know, you know, we need to get this guy out. Uh, and and the attack will be to primary them out. Now. You know, in the case of Murkowski and, and Joe Manchin, you know, the only thing that would happen to both of them if if the 
parties ran them out is they would probably lose the seat to the other party, uh, you know, candidly. Yeah. Right. True. And, uh, and, you know, so that's the only thing that's protecting them, but, you know, in the vast majority of these cases, you can have a, you know, person that's just not towing the line on that one issue. Right. And then they'll go after them. So the veterans P political innovation proposes two strategies. One is to have open primaries. Okay. So, uh, in my state of our state of Virginia, um, you know, independents can vote in one or the other, right? You can't vote in both a Republican and a Democratic primary. But if you had open primaries, you've got a broader spectrum of the folks voting, right? So politicians have to appeal to a broader spectrum of folks. The second strategy is to do what's called ranked choice voting. So you know, if you have top five, you got five people running rather than just cast your vote for that one individual, you rank them five, four, three, two, one. Right. So you sort of give them a point system. And that way, you know, uh, you know, the top candidates running in it can't just appeal to that special interest group. Right. They have to they have to appeal to somebody whose issue isn't uh, you know, Green New Deal or abortion or, you know, uh, the economy or education, you know, pick, pick your, pick your hot button. Right. And, and so they have to appeal more broadly and it worked for the Republicans in Virginia because the Republicans did a ranked choice voting convention this year. And that's why they got Glenn Youngkin to run and, you know, the, the folks that were at the more extreme ends of the Republican party, uh, had to moderate their positions, right? And what's the outcome, right? The outcome is victory. Uh, and uh, but but a more moderate, broader base, um, you know, because you've got to win people in the middle. I think yeah. so. That that's the thrust of Veterans for Political Innovation. My uh, idea. I'm going to have um, Eric on. I'm going to have Todd Connor on. And I'm going to have a guy named Mike Cantwell on our podcast this spring. And we'll be talking about, uh, you know, veterans for political innovation. So it's going to be a big thrust what we're talking about this year. I'm excited about it. It's, first, it's the first solution I've seen to this problem that, you know, was bipartisan. Todd Connor is running for the state Senate in his state uh, in Indiana as a Democrat. I'm, I tend to be a Republican, uh, you know, but, you know, he and I are in lockstep on fixing the structure so that we can uh, moderate and and, uh, and 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 work on some of this, you know, bipolar problem that we have in government right now. Of the people, by the people, for the people. Right. So absolutely. we'll have to introduce you to David Galooch, too. He's a, a former Navy EOD officer who's running in Pennsylvania and. I, yeah, just talking to him, I've talked to him a lot, I'm trying to see what I can do to help him through his campaign. He just got endorsed by the SEAL pack and um, we had Stu Scheller on there a couple of weeks ago. You know, he's doing some stuff kind of similar to that, finding candidates that, you know, pre or have a platform of accountability for, for people that make bad policy decisions. Um you know, so I, I'm a big fan of that, too. And it's funny you were talking about that. Like we saw that firsthand in Virginia, the special interests. Michael Bloomberg came in. What would that have been? 20, <clears throat> what, 2018, whenever. And I think that he basically dumped like 
you know, two and a half million dollars into all these districts out in the western part of Virginia. So you had all these Democrats running unopposed uh, to flip the state house. And of course, this time they didn't run unopposed. Uh, the important election is the primaries, <laughs> yeah. okay? Because but, you know there's, there's there's a very few congressional districts that are actually competitive. Yeah. So you got to win. You got to get. You got to get the primary. You got to win the primary if we're going to change this thing. And and there's not much participation in it. Yeah, I you know I guess that's the the thing is is sharing that message and getting more people to understand that and say hey, you can either sit so go back to and veterans about for political go to veteransforpoliticalinnovation.org and check it out. There's a lot of information there, and uh, you know get involved. Yeah, well, uh, I'll make sure we keep uh, put the link to the website uh, and the notes for the show too, because that's yeah, I, I'm with you. <laughs> like the, I don't know that there's a, a causation, but definitely a correlation between the decrease in the number of, of uh, veterans that you see in in Congress and public distrust of just the government as a whole. I, I yeah. know. And, and I think that's important, like having people that, that, yeah, like you said, cater more to special interests. So I'm a big fan of that. You know, I had heard some other theories out there too, about like with the electoral college, giving people a, you know, the, instead of somebody winning a state, they get all that state's votes. How about they get a percentage of electoral votes commensurate with whatever the popular vote was in that state. Everybody should look at those kinds of motions with a healthy level of skepticism because in at, at the root of it, it's about power to the political party more than it is what's good for the country. Yeah. Nine times out of 10. And Mike, you know, it's interesting, you, you know, you said you got to see how the sausage got made. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, the pressure that was put on members of Congress by their party to conform. That is the greatest pressure. I, in my opinion, I've, I've said that, you know, when you see how it's made, you come back to, you know, Hampton roads area and you just, you're a fly on the wall sometimes and you listen to conversation and you're like, I don't know why the hell that person voted like that. And why would they vote like that? And, you know, you, you, knowing how the way the game is played, it's simple. You know, it, it really comes down to were you red or were you were you blue? That's why you voted that way. You you had no other way to go, you know, or, you know, like like we were talking about earlier, you, you, you have to play by the party lines or eventually you're going to get primaried out like we were talking about earlier, you know, especially if you're in a. a either a, a solid red or a solid blue district, because if you don't play by party lines long enough, you can step over every now and then. And if you're going to do it, you better step over early, but people are keeping score. They keep a scorecard on you on every issue, guns, abortion, foreign policy, all this other stuff, you know, defense, everything you get a score, like you do a, a report card. And so they keep, and then there's people that monitor on every bill you vote on. And how you voted. So, if you if you tend to if you end up straying away long enough, you're going to get primaried out. I'm telling you. So, uh, when when people go, well, why do they vote like that? Well, I won't say they don't have a choice. They always have a choice on whether they 
you know, obviously they don't vote by button in the but Senate. But there are consequences. It, it, absolutely. There are absolute <laughs> consequences. And you better have a damn good reason to stand by what you said or what you did. You know, sometimes my boss mm -hmm. might vote a certain way and then he would have a, a long, uh, you know, letter, you know, op-ed or something he might release about why he voted that way. I think, you know, that's, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a way of doing it. You know, some folks will never submit anything to the public, to the constituents to say, you know, this is why I did what I did. And this is why I voted along this line. And, you know, this is why I think it's better for the country. So some folks will just say, you know, I, this is why I voted. You know, the other thing is, you know, like right now, and you're seeing along national news, you know, when you're the, when you're the party in control, guess what? You better get stuff done because if you don't like what we're seeing, some, some of the stuff right now, uh, there's people waiting to come after you. You know, the other party's just waiting because all the other party that's not in control, all they have to do is say no. And, and they, they've got, you know, when you're, when you're a Republican on the Hill right now, you just have to say no, because that's your job. I said, yeah, I just disagree with whatever you say because I'm not the one in charge. Well, eventually it's going to flip back and guess what? It's your time now. So you better put up or shut up. That's the way the game's played. Uh, so it's really, you know, it's, it's a constant flip back and forth. And then to really see, you know, the way I, I was completely astounded by, and I said this, I think before on a podcast, the, the constitution and the fact that the founding fathers sat around on candlelight drinking meat and pantyhose and wigs and came up with this document and how it gets stressed daily and, 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 and the, the, the pure fascination on how they wrote that thing. I mean, it's astounding and, and to watch it be stressed all the time. I mean, it's just a completely fascinating document, the way they framed it. And I think it's just amazing. And just to sit there and be in the halls of Congress and be in the Capitol and watch it all, you know, go down was just an amazing experience. I, I've heard uh, Tulsi Gabbard actually confirm a lot of that stuff too on, on podcasts that she's been on like she talks about that she had told a story about they were they were doing a workout or something there in the the gym for congress and she had like given john boehner a compliment it was like oh you crushed it out there today and then she said yeah i got pulled aside and somebody talked to me about it <laughs> and we're like what the hell are you doing you know the other thing is too and they'll, you know, you got to, we've got rid of earmarks for a while. And I think they're bringing them back a little bit uh, here and there. The other thing is the jet age got rid of a lot of what you're talking about. A lot of the cooperation, because a lot of people don't know that there's a, basically a muster on Monday. There's a, there's a vote. They come into the chambers and they vote. Why do they vote? So they, it's, it's basically an attendance. The, the, they're taking attendance to make sure the members are there on Monday afternoon because they fly back to DC and on, on, on Thursday, uh, late afternoon, they all fly back to their districts or they fly back to their state. If you're a Senator and on Friday, all of us staff members, we run around in business casual. We don't wear suits and ties depending on your boss, but the vast majority of us are wearing business casual because our members aren't there mm -hmm. because they're all back in their district doing constituent work back at home with their families and so on and so forth. But before the jet age, guess what? They were forced to stay in DC and drink and, and have dinners and work this crap out. Now they don't, they all fly back and then they come back and fight about it on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So it's kind of, uh, 
it's a little bit prohibitive to progress the way it's all set up right now. It's, it's, it's a mess, but there's a way to fix it. <laughs> there's at least one way to fix it. Uh, so actually, yeah, I know. Cause you and I talked about this yesterday on the phone. I, I'm excited to look at that and kind of learn a little bit more about it too. And then, you know, one other thing that I really wanted to talk to you about today is um, veteran crowd itself as an organization. Cause I think that's a, you know, a great concept, what you kind of put together there. And I wanted to highlight it and, and hopefully spread the word about what you guys do with it. So, so, so veteran crowd is a great story of, you know, uh, uh, trying to do one thing. And in the meantime, something else kind of comes up and kicks you in the shin. Right. Um, you, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm in the investment banking business. Uh, I've, I've made a living now for 27 years. Um, you know, really doing merger and acquisition advisory work primarily and a little bit of raising your capital. And um, 2008 happened, right? Big recession, uh, implosion of the financial markets and sitting around on a Saturday sort of trying to figure out you know, what's going to happen to us. And, and, and in my business, we're, we're like a trailing industry, right? We're the last one to go into the recession and we're the last one to come out. So I had, you know, a pretty clear understanding of what was about to occur. Right. Um, and so I sat down and, and looked at, at that point in time, about 14 years worth of deals. I just wrote them on a yellow pad and all of a sudden it sort of jumped off the page at me, you know, Every time I did a deal with a team that had veterans in the leadership team, we had a positive outcome. And that wasn't the case, uh, you know, with the non-veteran teams. Uh, and in fact, that, you know, <laughs> just that year had a non-veteran team give us what we refer to in the industry as a feeectomy, uh, where, uh, you know, they basically tried not to pay us right uh, after we had done a wonderful job for them. So I, I just concluded, you know, what I've, I think I'm going to go do my work with veterans and focus on that. Um, a few years later, uh, you know, crowdfunding comes along, right? And uh, so I'm having a conversation with somebody one day and saying, you know, I think we could do crowdfunding for veteran-led businesses. And he goes, well, and, and well, what are you going to call it? And, and um, I said, I don't know. And he goes, why don't you call it veteran crowd? And I thought about it for about 60 seconds and went and got to got on GoDaddy and bought the URL. And, you know, that, that, you know, you would think that there was more thought to it than that, but that's literally how the name came about. But, but it has since evolved. We're, we're really not doing crowdfunding. Uh, I still do. Uh, I focus exclusively on M and A advisory work for veteran led businesses. And when uh, there are uh, capital needs, then I've got, you know, uh, people with great wealth of experience in our organization that can step up and help raise money. Right. So I sort of, I, I get to have the best job of all. I sort of get to be the schmoozer with guys like you and I can bring in people that have the expertise. It's a lot of fun to put together a team and, and help these veteran led businesses. So that, that has been a lot of fun, but in the meantime, Trevor, uh, we kind of discovered that there are all these veteran led businesses out there and they can't find each other. I mean, it's not like you're wearing it on your sleeve, right? You know, they're just, they're just out there doing it. There are two and a half million plus veteran owned businesses out there. There are about 440,000 of these businesses that have real scale, meaning they've got 
you know, real payrolls and hundreds of employees. Right. And uh, they just don't know it. Right. They just, we're just kind of out there doing our thing. You know, it's something we did 20 years ago. Right. It's like your grandfather, you know, yeah, he was in World War II. A lot of people knew he was a World War II veteran, but you know, it wasn't like he was out there marketing it with his business, right? My dad was the same way. So uh, I said, well, what, what if we had an event and brought these people together? So I threw a cocktail reception here in Richmond, invited a guest speaker, uh, and I invited about 75 people that I knew were, were veterans in business and said, come to this event. And we couldn't get them to leave. Uh, you know, they had this networking afterwards and they all it's I've used this analogy. I've worn it out, but it's like, it was like the exact opposite of a middle school dance. You know, everybody, instead of standing around the edges of the gym, I mean, they all went to the middle, they started talking. They're like, Hey, you know, I was in the army. You were in the Navy. Oh, you're in the Marine Corps. What color crayons did you like to chew on? You know, and, and, you know, uh, pre pretty soon they were insulting each other, you know, and yucking it up. And I knew things were going great and people wanted to do it again. And so that kind of became the idea Trevor behind building this national network and, um, trying to get business owners, you know, to help connect business owners with each other and resources to help them prosper. Right. So that's what we're doing with the veteran crowd network. Um, we, you know, it's COVID threw a monkey wrench in everybody's plans. Right. Kind of hard to have a cocktail reception these days, but um, you know, we're still striving to do that, to bring veterans together with each other and the resources they need to prosper, whatever that is. So um I love doing that. I'm at the stage of my career where I, I love helping coaching, you know, that kind of thing. It's just fun, you know? So that's what we're doing. Long winded Mike, but maybe there's, maybe there's a nugget there you want to drill down on. Love it. Well, yeah, I, I enjoy it too. I think it's a little, it's a good way, especially for, for, you know, up and coming people who are about to be veterans to kind of go, learn learn that skill right because like you said like i i see guys go to these networking events like the ones that aren't you know where everybody's military and they do the same thing they just kind of stand in the corner uh you made the perfect analogy it's it's not a middle school dance right if if you're just going to stand in the corner and talk to the same two people the the entire night what are you even doing here um and i i think going out there and and having other vets and, and you hear that because I, I think the last one that we had had was down at iFly, right? In Virginia Beach. We had one at iFly. We had a lot of, got, got in, got in the uh, chamber too. Yeah. Made a, made a fool of myself. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, same thing too. Like people come in immediately, start, you know, talking to each other. Guys I hadn't seen, like, uh, you know, Sean Matson came to mind. I hadn't seen him in like 10 years. And we're, Hey, what's up, brother, you know, hugging and, and just kind of took, you know, just right where we left off last time I saw him 10 years ago, right. Talking to some of the other guys that are there and it's not, that, that's the, the thing. And I made a post about this on LinkedIn yesterday. I just, you know, like the networking events, right. I hate elevator pitches. Why? Cause I think, you know, they're 99% bullshit. Um, it's crap. It's, it's a sales pitch, right. I, and you don't really learn anything about who that person is. And that's one of the things that I liked about veteran crowd is we're not going in there and people are saying, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, you know, I do 
comprehensive financial planning for my accounts. And, and I'm like, I didn't hear that there. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I work in this. And then we just start talking about things that we have in common. Right. You know, the service and and you actually get to know people there and, and you're able to build more like meaningful relationships with other you know, business owners that are out there in your you want community. to do business with people you like and yeah. you want to do business with people you trust and you want to do business with people that you have something in common with. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's what it's all. I mean, why can't business be fun? That's what I I mean, I, I worked for five years in an absolutely miserable job, uh, you know, at one point in my career and, and, you know, literally I'd pull up to the front of the building and, It'd be two minutes to eight and I would sit there and just go, God, I got to walk up that sidewalk and go in there again. I mean, why do that? <laughs> that you know, it was stupid. Yeah. But the other it, thing is, well, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying you, you take the pressure off of them of, of like, I need to ha- get in here and, and, and make a sale or something like that. Right. It's now it's like, I need to go in there and, you know, meet some cool people and, and have a good time. And, and then, then you discover in, in the byproduct is you discover that, you know, this person's an attorney that does the kind of legal work that you need, or, you know, they manufacture something that, you know, you've got some synergies that, you know, why not capitalize? Why not, why not do that? Right. But again, to me, it's all, you know, what's the important thing in the teams, right? Trust. It's, 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 it's important to be proficient and technically capable of doing something, but at the end of the day, yeah, and I think you know we they they have boosted business on your way out of the military in the in the TAPS G, G, TGPS classes or whatever, which is okay. It's it meets the mark, I guess, in some aspects. But we talk about on here before about the need to have you know we we have sponsors when we change commands, even if it's going across the base, across the parking lot, or across the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific. You have a sponsor that that meet you when you get off the plane or meet you when you get out of your car and say, Oh, this is a new command, this is a new area, so on and so forth. When you leave the gate, no, nobody sponsors you to become a, a civilian again, you know? And I think it's real, you know, one of the critical things about that organization is you develop mentors and develop that network that somebody can, you can relate with, you know, that can help you like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about. Uh, no, Hey, I wouldn't do that because I made that same mistake. And this is what I did, you know, I, here's what I would do if I were you, you know, and you can develop that in, 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 you know, saves you money, saves you time, saves you pain. Uh, and then, and it create that type of network. I, I mean, that's invaluable. You, you know, you, you can't put a, you can't put a dollar sign on that. And, and you got to have mentors out there. You know, I have, I have uh, these are not my sayings, but, uh, you know, it takes 20 years to get 20 years of experience. Right. And, um, uh, you know that you you've opened up another can of worms for me i I never went through the tap program right uh didn't have to so to speak um and uh but but that program i think has one fundamental flaw to it um i was involved uh in in a meeting probably two years ago now, it seems like, and um, they had, they had done some, an, a, a significant overhaul of the TAP program, uh, you know, to fix it. And they described over a 15 minute period, what they had done to the TAP program. So they got to the end and I 
raised my hand and I said, um, what input did you guys solicit from the private sector when you were developing these solutions? Silence, you know, well, well, we didn't. And so I didn't say anything, but, you know, I just got one thing to say about, you know, kind of a novel concept, but you might want to check with the customer when you're designing a program, right? And they don't, they don't see the customer as businesses like we're running now. They see the customer as the government who needs to be able to justify that they're providing a program for veterans who are transitioning out of the military. They got to check that box. And they never, for some reason, it's just inconceivable to them to go, well, what does a private business need? What do we need to be helping our veterans do, right? So that the customer is getting what they want. And then we're setting those transitioning veterans up for success. I mean, if I, if I could get somebody at the TAP program to listen to that. Oh, and- <laughs> you'd have built the Golden Gate Bridge because yeah. you'd have you'd have made the connective tissue that would have. Uh, I, yeah, that would be phenomenal. But as it is right now, like you said, it is a check in the block because people complained about it in the late 2000s and said, you know, there were service members getting out saying they didn't prepare me for civilian life so congress made it mandatory and it, here here we are yeah they made it mandatory meaning and and so they want to make sure that every transitioning service member attends the class mm-hmm. doesn't matter what the content is i've i've you know i've been the in the uh, uh financial industry and it's regulated and and uh, we get in trouble for this story, but, you know, maybe, <laughs> but, you know, we went for uh, uh, an, an interview years ago with a government official and was an important part of a licensing process. And we spent uh, probably six hours in a conference room where we were being asked questions, you know, about what our plans were related to this regulated uh, business we were putting together. And the individual had a, pretty thick stack of papers. Right. And as she would ask us the question, she just put a check beside it. Right. And so, you know, we went to lunch and my partner looked at me and goes, you know, we want to go back in the conference room and just tell her that she can check the wrecks of the boxes so we can catch an earlier train out of here. You know, they took no notes whatsoever. It didn't matter what our answers were. The exercise was that they had asked us the question. Okay. So, uh, you know, there's some things that go on in the United States government that just defy logic. It's, it's no way to run a business. Let's put it that way. That that was, uh, one thing I always remember, um, what was that book? Uh, Dick Marshenko, I think it was Rogue Warrior where he talked about that leadership by checklist and, yeah, I do. That's why, as you as you were talking about that, just going down and checking the boxes, like, okay, does that? <clears throat> There's enormous value in asking questions. If you're a board member of a company, right, and and you know you're you're helping a young entrepreneur, right, you don't really want to go in and tell them what to do. You don't want to go in there and tell them how to think, but you want to ask them hard questions. Right. Uh, and then let them come up with the solutions and, and coach them in that regard. But, um, you know, again, there's 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 leadership lessons that you learned in the military. Right. 
you, you give that junior officer a lot of responsibility and you give them, you give them good training and, and you don't step in because you know, they're going to learn from their mistakes more than they're going to learn from the stuff that, that you tell them exactly how to do it. As long as they're not making a mistake that maybe gets somebody killed. Right. That's why you have so, senior enlisted guys too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I learned more from the senior NCOs, my time in the army, than you know, than I can count. Right. And the sooner you figure that out, uh, again, it takes 20 years to get 20 years of experience. Right. Trevor. It sure does. So, well, Bob, we, we appreciate you coming on here and spending some time with us. Anything else that you want to put out there before we uh, end the recording? Well, I would just, uh, you know, encourage everybody to listen to the spotlight on the Veteran Crowd Network. You can just look, type in Veteran Crowd on your favorite podcast platform and it should come up. Uh, we also publish, uh, publish a video version on, uh, on a YouTube channel. Hey, subscribe, come to veterancrowdnetwork.com and, and subscribe to our newsletter and consider whether being a part of our network is a, is a fit for you. And, and Trevor and Mike, man, I've enjoyed it. I, you know, we could probably talk for a long time, but I really do appreciate it. I'll throw an army Bravo Zulu out to you guys uh, for, for your performance today. And I really appreciate being a part of this. Well, thank Thanks, you. Bob. It was great much. talk to you. <laughs> yep. And uh, I look forward to our next, uh, next veteran crowd network that we have down here. So we got an office space at gather now in downtown Norfolk. So there we go. When, well, when we're allowed we, to we, do it, you we've got some interesting stuff. I think we need to throw another uh, veteran crowd networking event down in Norfolk. That'd yeah. Be fun. Absolutely. I'm going to that one then. I'll yeah. be there for that one for sure. I'm looking forward to that episode in February. I got to listen to that one. Yes. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet.